The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Father, we come this morning praising and thanking you for what we have heard through your word that has been read and through the songs that have been sung this morning. And Lord, we, we are baffled this morning on why we should gain from your reward. And we're humbled at the thoughts that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. And so we come this morning in praise and adoration and thanksgiving. And Lord, may we now, in the next few moments, focus with intention and purpose to the cross of Christ. May we see it afresh this morning. And may we, as we lift up Jesus, be drawn to him. And may men and women who don't know him this morning be drawn to the beauty and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you and we need you this morning. We pray you bless this service with your, your presence and that you would smile on what's said and done as we strive to make much of Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn if you would. To 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll start at verse number 23 this morning. Of course, this is a text that we're well familiar with when it comes to the communion service. Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also... He took the cup when he had stopped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. We gather this morning as believers to look at God's word. And as a church this morning, we believe that God's word is all sufficient. We have seen in our lives and in the history of this church the power of the unadulterated Word of God. The Word is sufficient. This morning the Bible makes it clear that the Word is a lamp that illuminates our feet. Psalm 119 tells us that. That in our life and in our journey, the Word of God opens the way to see clearly as we walk through this world. The Word of God is medicine that heals. Proverbs chapter 4 tells us that there is a balm in Gilead and it heals, brings health and life. Jeremiah tells us that this word is fire that refines and consumes, and it's like a hammer that breaks in pieces. Jesus told us in Matthew 4 that the word is food that nourishes us, that we we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Isaiah makes it clear that this word is like rain and snow that causes growth. And so we come to the word this morning to be fed. We come to the written word, and we reverence it, and we read it, and we know it directs us to the living word. And this morning, as I speak to believers, I am sure that you come this morning because there's something about Christ and who he is and what he has done that we long to be near him and to know him and to experience him. Listen to the words of Bernard. He said this, If we wish to have Christ for a guest often, 
if we wish to have Christ as a guest often, meaning we long to know him, we long to fellowship with him, we long for him to make himself um, known to us and feel at home in our hearts and our lives. If we long to have Christ for a guest often, we must keep our hearts fortified by the testimony of our faith in the mercy of him who died for us and the power of him who rose from the dead. As David said, these two things I have heard, power belongs to God and mercy to you, O Lord. The testimonies of both these are ever so believable. Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead for our justification. He ascended to heaven for our protection, sent the Spirit for our consolation, and will someday return for our fulfillment. He certainly showed his mercy in dying, his power in rising again. And so we come, and in order to have Christ feel at home in our hearts and to visit often, we must see what he has done and see it clearly this morning. And this is the design of the Lord's table. It's a time to come. This is what Paul tells us. He reminds us of the words of the Lord when he said, This do in remembrance of me. And in the kindness of our Lord and his understanding of our nature, which is such that our ungrateful hearts are prone to forget even the richest mercies in our lives. And so this morning, we will take our time and talk about the Lord's table today. We'll get three things this morning. We'll look at the procedure. We will then look at the point of all of it and then the propitiation that Christ has made. And so this morning, the procedure. Paul says, the night in which he was betrayed. This is an amazing thing to think about. That the night when Jesus would be betrayed, he said to his disciples, I have longed to have this meal with you. I'm looking forward to this time together, knowing full well what was to come. Within hours, his world, the world of his disciples, and the entire world would change. And in that event, the night in which he was betrayed, he then takes bread and he takes this cup. And in a moment, he takes the greatest event in Israel's redemptive history, the Exodus, the Passover, when God said, I will deliver my people by a hand of power. I will bring you out in one evening. A nation will be born. And the way I will do it will be this. You will take a lamb, an innocent spotless, harmless lamb. And you will shed its blood and you will put it on the post of the door. And in that night, as the angel of death passes through, he will pass over you, all those who believe and put their faith in that, that symbol, that sign. And in one night, an entire nation is born and two million people march out of Egypt as a nation of men and women who were redeemed. The Jews had been celebrating this for almost 1,500 years. They knew what it was about. And in one evening, Jesus Christ says, I want you to know something. All of that, every last bit of it, points to me. I am the Passover lamb. It's Christ. And so he takes the bread and he takes the cup. These simple elements. 
and changes everything. When we think of bread this morning, we, we ought to think about the process of just the kneeling and the working and how bread is made. There's something to that. And we ought to think about the fact that in this loaf, when Christ broke it, talking about how we're all together in one body in him, this bread, this simple element. But we must think this morning as we grab the bread and we touch it and we feel it of the body of Christ. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. And we as believers must purposely take time in our lives to think about the body of Christ that was given to us. The perfect, spotless, and harmless Lamb of God is going to give his body to be spit upon. The God of heaven, who the angels praised, who they sang his praises, will now, by sinful men, be spit upon. Is there anything more disgusting or defiling to have one, someone spit upon you? They spit on the body of Christ. They mocked him. And, and we might think, mocking is not a big deal. But if you have ever been mocked at any time in your life and you feel the blood leave your face and you feel flushed by someone mocking you and making fun of you, it's a terrible thing. He was mocked. He who spoke creation into existence is now mocked by sinful men. They smack him in the face. Again, the disdain for Christ. They take a rod and they beat him in the head. They, they, they twist together this crown of thorns and put it on his head and jam it into his brow. They scourge his back so that as you were to see it, it looked like a farmer's field that had been furrowed. He didn't even look like a man, Isaiah tells us. He was pierced in his hands and his feet and his side. This is our Christ, and this is the body, and this is what we must think about this morning as we come to this table. This body is broken for you and for me to die the excruciating death in his body for sinful men and women. And then he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And how can we not take the cup and look at the juice and the color and be reminded of the blood that was shed? When I was a kid, they would have in these doctor's offices these, these Bible storybooks. I don't know if you remember them, but they're all blue. And there's like 1,200 of them. And every doctor's office had them. They were the Jesus storybook or something. I don't know if you remember that. Um, they, that stuff always freaked me out as a kid. I don't know what it was, but it freaked me out. But you would see pictures of Jesus on the cross, and there'd be a little blood on his hands, a little blood on his feet, and a little blood from his brow. And that's the picture. And they probably did it for children, I would imagine. Maybe they were thinking about children. But that is not the scene of Calvary. His blood was shed. He bled. He bled. And this blood is the new covenant for his people. That's the procedure. Paul says on this night, Christ did this, and this is what he has done. And then he said, what's the point? What's the point? 
of all of this. We live in a world today that everyone is terrified of death. Everyone. Vaccinated, unvaccinated. Rich, poor. Young, old. We live in a world that people are terrified of death. And why is that? Because we know death is real. Death is inevitable. Death is coming. And we also know as believers that the wages of sin is death. It's death. And it is a thing that holds people in bondage their entire lives. And what we do is we fill our lives with so many things that we never have to think about it. Do you know why we pay entertainers so much money? Why we pay athletes so much money? So they can distract us our entire lives and never think about death. But my friend, death is coming. It's coming. And the wages of all of our sins is death. And yet here is Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. And he now, the sinless one, will die for you and for me. Listen to the words of Isaiah 53. This is a text we should go to often. Verse number four. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, our breaking of trust with God. He was bruised for our iniquities, our crooked behavior, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here is Christ who comes and he dies not for his sins. He paid a price he did not owe to pay a debt that we could not pay. He did become the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. And so... We have in our text the procedure. The point is that we die and Christ stepped in our place. But let me talk to you about the why this morning. And this is important. Why? Why Calvary? Why the cross? Why the blood? Why the shedding? Why all of this? And the answer is for propitiation. Propitiation means it is a means of forgiveness. It is the removal of wrath by offering of a guilt. Propitiation means that someone's in trouble. And in that trouble, something has to be done to appease the wrath of God. Now listen to me. This is an area that, that Christians now are backpedaling from. We have to acknowledge this morning, as we think of the mystery of the cross, as we sang about it today, as we view the cross and all of the excruciating pain and the horror of all of it, the mystery of the cross only makes sense of the life of Jesus Christ and his death by the fact that he paid the price for me and for you. Penal, substitutionary atonement. And if we take the cross out of this, we drain Christianity from its very life's blood. We can admit the gospel message might be difficult for people to hear when we talk about the wrath of God. But we must not apologize for it. And we must not try to make it seem or sound like something else. It is what it is. Do not explain it away. 
The fact is this morning, the reason we rejoice in the cross of Calvary is because we understood that we were in trouble. The wrath of God. And you say, wait a minute. God is loving and God is kind and God is patient and God is just and God is good. And you're exactly right. And it's because of that that sin is a real problem. The loving, kind, righteous, just God will deal with all sin. Sin is missing the mark. And we've all missed the mark. You and I were created for a purpose. And the purpose was to love God, to enjoy Him forever, and then to take that love and love everyone around us. How are you doing with that? To love everyone around us. We have certainly missed the mark. We have certainly transgressed. We have broken trust. We were entrusted with this gift to be image bearers of God, to reflect Him perfectly, and we have broken that trust. We do it daily, some of us hourly, and our crooked behavior. And the holy, righteous God is angry at sin. Why? Because sin ruins and destroys everything. Your sin and my sin. Listen, and when it, we get involved in it, everything is messed up. Every situation of our lives can be traced back to someone's sinful behavior. It's like a cancer that destroys everything, and God in His holiness says, I will finally deal with this. My wrath against that sin will be dealt with. And, and my friend, listen to me. This is the only thing that makes sense in Christianity. Uh, one evangelist said this. He said, if, if you and I were sitting on a, a pier, looking out on the ocean, and a guy ran by, and as he ran by, he said, I love you. He jumped into the, the ocean and said, I'm going to save you. As we sat on the pier, pier, we would think that guy was crazy. Would we not? I'm sitting safely on this pier. I don't need you to love me, nor do I need you to save me. There's no purpose in that. It's foolishness. But if I'm in the water, and I'm drowning from my own doing, without any hope, do you know what I want? I want a guy to run off that pier and to tell me he loves me and to save me. My, my friend, listen to me. I didn't need somebody. I didn't need to add something to my life. When I understood, I knew I needed a Savior. A Savior to save me from my sin. And that's what God said He would do. On the cross of Calvary, God's righteous demands are satisfied with the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And the reason we glory this morning is because the sinless lamb stepped into my place and the wrath that I deserved was poured upon his head. Listen again to Isaiah, chapter 53, verse number 8. He was taken from the prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise or to crush him. He had put him to grief. 
When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he, has, he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Christ died to absorb the wrath that I deserved and that you deserved. And so we come this morning in, in, in a soberness, and yet in a joyfulness and a thankfulness, and we remember, we remember, we remember this morning we see Christ crucified. And my prayer this morning is that for all of us, through the songs, through the word, through the symbols this morning, that we will see clearly Jesus Christ and what he has done through the cup and the bread, to see him afresh. It is good to go back here over and over again to see Christ crucified. Not only that, we commemorate the greatest event of all time. Do you know something? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed history. Our calendars tell us that. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed world history. And listen to me, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed my history. And changed your history. And as we ran our hellbound race, he reached down and saved us. And so we commemorate the greatest event of all time in our lives. And then we contemplate the greatest mystery. Why would he love me? Why would he love you? And especially some of you. Just, do you ever think about your life before you knew him? As we ran this race for ourselves completely oblivious or in rebellion to him. This God of heaven, he rejoices and longs to forgive his enemies. Who does that? Who does that? And why should he love me? And even after salvation, in my indifference, in my complacency, in my own rebellion, and the fact that I walk away from him all the time, yet his love is faithful, it is steadfast, it is secure. Why would he love us? Why? Because he's God. That's what he does. And we should contemplate this great mystery. And it should never fill us with pride. It should humble us to think, oh, what a Savior, that the King of glory died for me. And then we should come into his presence with joy and sweet communion. Believer, this morning, as we come to the table, we should be changed. As we, as we think about the gospel and Christ, we should be changed. The old Baptist of the 1800s um, used to have uh, a few questions that they would, they would encourage their congregations to think about as they came to the Lord's table. And they wanted them to search their souls as they thought about this great sacrifice that had been done for them and who Christ was. 
and the beauty of his atonement, and they would ask them just to do some soul-searching. Here are several of the questions they asked, which I think would be good for us to consider this morning as we move into taking the cup and the bread. And ask yourself this, in light of Christ and what he's done for you and for me, have we gained ground in our Christian life since our last communion together? Are our corruptions growing weaker and our grace is stronger? And I'm just saying, just this last month, in light of the last time we came to celebrate and, and to worship and to see Christ crucified, since that time, have the graces in my life become stronger and the corruptions in my life become weaker? That is the Christian life. It's a life of moving closer and closer into the image of our Savior. Here's the second thing they would ask. Um, have we been more successful at striving against our besetting sins? Since the last time we've gathered together, have we individually been more successful at striving against our besetting sins? Let me remind you this morning, brother and sister in Christ, it is not okay to be okay with unkindness. For the life of me, I cannot understand believers who are just bent on unkindness in a world that needs a little kindness. Are we having victory over our besetting sin of unkindness or of bitterness? I am sure this morning, if I were to ask everyone in this room if someone has ever hurt you in your life, we would all say, absolutely. And I'm willing to bet that you were hurt in a church in some time in your life, or any relationship. But I want you to know something. We have been given the ability to let that go and to release that, and yet this bitterness in our hearts and lives will destroy us, and it will mar everything we do. It's an ugly, ugly thing. Are we having victory over our bitterness, over our greed, our lust, our anger? And the list goes on. If I've not named yours yet, go ahead and you can just shout it out right now and I'll, I'll hit that one too. We have these areas in our life. When I come to the cross and I see what's been done for me, I should be empowered and encouraged to deal with me. We want to deal with everyone else. But this... Am I conforming to the image of the invisible Christ. Am I conforming to the image of the invisible Christ? Well, God knows. Yeah, thanks, Captain Obvious. Of course he knows. But does your wife know? Do your kids know? Do your neighbors know? Do your coworkers know? That you are conforming to the invisible Christ, which means that as the, as the world looks at us, they see Jesus. What are we doing? What are we living for? Why are we on this planet? And the reason is to show people the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. We don't do that in our own strength. He must live through us. You must be conformed to the image of Christ. 
And then, finally, they ask tons more questions. Um, but is our love growing toward all men? Is our love growing toward all men? I was reading some stuff by Sibs, the great Puritan, and he said, it would be a good contest among Christians, one to labor to give no offense, and the other to labor to take none. It'd be a good contest if I would labor to give no offense, and the other would labor not to take any, which means there would be no offense. You get that? He says, our discord is our enemy's melody. Are we growing in our love to all men? Not just our circle, not just our tribe, but to all men. Listen to me. This is a very challenging time for our world, for our families, and for our churches. But if the church of Jesus Christ cannot grow in love for brothers and sisters, part of this body, who are different, then what are we doing that's any different from the world around us? Should this not be a place where red, yellow, black, and white can sit and love one another? I mean, really love one another. Should this not be a place where rich and poor can come and we eat the same food and drink the same stuff and enjoy one another? Should this not be a place where the educated and uneducated join arms together and love one another regardless of what status they have? Should this not be a place where masked and unmasked can come and be loved? Should this not be a place where vaccinated and unvaccinated can come and be loved? And I submit to you, it should be. And if the world looks into a church that cannot love one another in our differences, then what are we doing? Jesus said, the publicans and sinners do that. They love people who are just like them. It's time for the church to arise and love one another and grow in the grace. How can we not? God reached down and when we were rebellious, wicked sinners running our hellbound race, indifferent to him, and yet he reached down and saved us and loved us, and not only loved us, but loved us enough to put us into a body of believers and a family that he wants to show the glory, Ephesians chapter 3, talking about the manifold wisdom of God, that he takes people from every walk of life, puts them together, and the world says, wait a minute, that should not work. And it shouldn't work. But it does work. You know why? Because Christ is central. And when he is central, everything flows the way it should. Sibs um, was known, they, they said of Richard Sibs, that Richard Sibs had heaven in him before he was in heaven. He had heaven in him before he ever made it to heaven. And would to God this morning, we as God's people who come to this sacrifice and acknowledge what was done, 
have heaven in us before we ever get there. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Wouldn't it be glorious if people come to this place and they see this body of believers from every walk of life, Dutch, Frisian, all of them, right? They're, they're all here. I'm not sure about the Van Castrens. They're getting too big. I'm not, I don't know. But, but to come and to look in and to say, those people have heaven in them, there's a love, there's a sweetness, there's a joy. And there's no way to explain it other than Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and he lives. And that's glorious. And that's our prayer. And so, we remember, and one more thing as we, before we take the cup and the bread. We need to remember that this memorial service has a shelf life. What we do today, we will not always do. Because he says, do this till I come. Till I come. There is coming a day, my brother and sister, that Christ will come and he will physically rescue us. Physically rescue us. This is our hope, that he will rescue us and he will rule us. We need a righteous ruler. And the fact of the matter is, go through the word of God, every king of Israel failed and every king and president and premier will fail. They're human beings. We need a righteous king to reign over us and there is only one. It is Jesus Christ. And he will rule and make all things right. And that's what we look to. There's coming a day when we'll no longer touch the bread and think of his body but I will see him face to face and our joy will be complete because he is the glory of heaven. And so this morning, I encourage you, you're going to take the bread, you're going to take the cup and don't take it lightly. Think about what has been done for you and for me. That he would love us and give himself for us. And that we could glory in that this morning. And allow that not just to glory in the hour that we spend doing this, but as we leave this place, as we deal with one another, as we strive to become more like him, so we benefit all those around us. I thank God this morning for this service, for this bread and this cup, because we need to be reminded. And my prayer is this morning that we have been reminded and will help us and encourage us not just today, but tomorrow as well. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this, this memorial service that we can remember. I thank you for the elements that you've given us, the bread and the cup. Help us to think, help us to see Calvary fresh, anew in our hearts and minds. And Lord, not just see it, but to allow it to, to so penetrate our hearts and our lives that we, we, we see a change even today in my responses, my attitudes, my love, my battle against my own personal sin, my pride, my arrogancy. Make us like Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help your people. Bless this place with your presence and your power. Help us to be a community that loves you more than anything else, that we die to ourselves and live to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.